And again, I know it's, it's a tendency to clap. We don't clap here. We don't clap. And I, I'll, I'll, I'll keep saying that. I know it's uncomfortable, but you can say amen. You can say glory to God, amen, but we're not, we're not clapping for performance. There's churches in town that do that, for sure. We're just not one of them. And all God's people said, and again, I know some of you like, oh, it's just such a natural reaction to do it. Just say, amen, amen, and uh, praise the Lord. Thank you again, Miss Taylor. Wonderful song, God so loved. Praise the Lord. Jesus often angered the religionists of his day. The Pharisees, the lawyers. He had just done so by having the gall to heal a man born blind on the Sabbath day. And this is the fifth of Jesus' Sabbath miracles that takes place just before the parable of the Good Samaritan here. Remember, he healed that man that had an unclean spirit. Remember that, that, that dev, man possessed of a devil and came and looked at Jesus and said, I know who you are. And Jesus said, come out of him. And they said, well, he did that on the Sabbath day. I mean, the, the nerve of some people. Well, then he healed Peter's mother-in-law and a whole bunch more that were brought to him on the Sabbath day. Matthew chapter 8, verses 14 through 16. He healed the lame man by the pool in John chapter 5. He healed the man with the withered hand, one of my absolute favorite miracles in the Bible in Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. He healed the man born blind in John chapter 9. He healed the woman bowed down in Luke chapter 13. And he healed the man with dropsy in Luke chapter 14. Well, you remember, if you go down just a few verses here in Luke chapter 10, if you look at verse 17, it says, And the seventy returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject to us. And Jesus' disciples that came back uh, rejoicing because the devils had to listen to them. Remember what Jesus says as he goes further down. He, he tells a little bit about uh, what's happening. He says the power that he gives to his disciples. But then in verse number 20, he tells them, notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Brother Becker, I'm thankful for everything that the Lord has ever allowed me to be able to do. I was thinking, Brother Cole, I got my CDL license almost 25 years ago, and it was literally one of the best, the top five spiritual decisions I ever made in my entire life. Because I, I think of all the kids I've ever been able to transport by bus to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. You talk about, forgive me, Brother Cole, easy rewards. Just start her up and keep your eye on the road, amen. But you know what? If I'm not careful, I can just rejoice in that. Uh, yesterday I had posted on social media how blessed and thankful I was for the home that I have, the church that I have, the church family I have. the fam All of that's wonderful, and there's nothing wrong with rejoicing in those things. But more than anything else, what I truly have to rejoice about is my name is in the Lamb's Book of Life, and it'll never be taken out. 
The moment that you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the moment that you call upon Him as your Savior, your one and only Savior, your name is written in heaven. It'll, it, it, I, I put it this way, it's lacquered in there now. It'll never be blotted out. And so he tells his disciples, he, he gives them the, the, the real reason to rejoice. And then in verse 21 and 22, Jesus praises the Father. He says, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, it seemed good in thy sight. And then he goes on in verse number 23 and 24 as he tells the disciples of their great privilege. He turned to them and to the disciples and privately said, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that ye see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see those things which you see and have not seen them and to hear those things which you hear and have not heard them. You say, what was their privilege? They got to see Jesus with their own eyes. Those miracles, Miss Donna, that we just discussed, they saw it happen. By the way, Peter, who was one of the eyewitnesses, and he was one of the eyewitnesses of the Lord Jesus in all his glory in Matthew chapter 17 at what we call the transfiguration where Jesus, for just a brief moment, revealed himself. You know what Peter said? He said, we have a more sure word of prophecy. He said, you've got something even better than being there. You've got the word of God. Don't ever forget that, ladies and gentlemen. And, and I love the fact that Jesus deals with us where we are. Remember the story of Thomas? Thomas, who doubted that the, the Lord had been there, and, and, and the, the Lord Jesus appeared in the room and showed himself to Thomas, and he said, Thomas, go ahead, put your fingers in the nail prints if you need to. Put your hand in my side. Be not faithless, but believe. And Thomas fell down, <clears throat> and he said, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said, Because thou hast seen, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and have yet believed. Ladies and gentlemen, that's us. I've never seen Jesus with my own eyes, but he tells them right here, You are privileged to see things that the prophets wanted to see. Uh, thing, I think later in the Bible it says things that the angels desire to look into. They saw it with their own eyes. And so he reminds them of their privilege. And then <clears throat> after that private correspondence with his disciples, there arises from the crowd at the, the synagogue, the, the, the place of fellowship, Perhaps cut to the quick, as they used to say, by Jesus' answers to questions, a wise and prudent master of the law. Somebody that knew the Old Testament inside and out. And he stands up and he asks Jesus... A bait question. Uncle Joe, I've done a lot of debating in my life. After a while, if you've debated, 
And by the way, debate's a wonderful thing. It's a, it's a robust thing. It's, it's, a, it's mental chess is really what it is. But if you've debated after a while, you can spot a bait question a mile away. Somebody's trying to bait you into a position or an argument. And that's exactly what this was. And it tells us there in verse 25, Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and what, church? Tempted him. Tempted him. He tries to tempt or trip up the Lord Jesus. And as he often did, Jesus answers a question with a question. Doesn't he? You look there in verse 26. He says, what is written in the law? How readest thou? Forgive me, ladies and gentlemen, the, the modern terminology of that would be, what's the Bible say about it? You know, I, I learned as a youth pastor through the years, I used to give extensive answers to questions, and there's nothing wrong with answering, especially teenagers. By the way, teenagers have honest questions. They need honest answers. Oh, why do so many teenagers leave the church? Because sometimes we don't take their questions seriously and we don't give them the honest answers they need so they look elsewhere. But instead of giving the long, drawn-out answers as a youth pastor, I learned to just say, well, what's the Bible say about it? Does the Bible say anything about that? I heard somebody recently, and again, I'm, I'm not looking to split the church here. I heard somebody recently say, you know, I, I'm thinking about, uh, a, 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 a matter of fact, a fellow online I was, I was discussing this with and debating this uh, with, not, not being ugly or anything like that. Uh, uh, what's the Bible say about tattoos? What's the Bible say about tattoos? And I said, well, in the Old Testament, it was specifically prohibited. You were not to put any cuttings or markings on your flesh. I said, in the New Testament, here's, here's what the Bible says. Ye are not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And so, again, I'm, I'm not being ugly or unkind. What's the Bible say about it? Sometimes we don't want to know what the Bible says about it because we want to do something else. <laughs> so, he says here in verse number 26, What is written in the law? How readest thou? The lawyer perhaps to show his skill in the law, answers in verse 27. And he answering and said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And Jesus both commends his answer and confines him to his answer in verse number 28. Thou hast... Answered right. Hey, that's the right answer. But what's he say at the end of the verse? This do, and thou shalt live. Now again, ladies and gentlemen, just stepping aside from this, this parable here, the theology that we know is that only Jesus, Jesus was the only one who did all that in all God's people said. And, and remember, it's those commandments that show us that uh, we, we are unable to keep the law. Jesus said, yeah, you do that and you'll live. Nobody can, but 
Amen? You love your neighbor like you're supposed to? You love him like yourself? Amen? You love God like you're supposed to? No, we all fall short of that. But he, he, he not only uh, compliments him, but he also confines him to his answer. The lawyer, evidently realizing that he fell short, seeks to justify his shortcoming with another question. Verse 29, look at it. But he willing to justify himself. Uh, that phrase has jumped off the page at me for years, Brother Bartell. When I will counsel people and I will give what is just simply sound biblical counsel. And they'll say, yeah, but what about... And Brother Ken, they're trying to justify themselves. They, they've already made the decision that they're going to do whatever they wanted. And, and again, I'm not being unkind. I'm always here for you, church, as your pastor, as, as somebody that gives counsel. But I can tell you this. I've done enough marriage counseling to say this to a couple that will come to me and say, could you please give us marriage counseling, pastor? I said, I will if you'll come to every service for a month. I'll give you marriage counseling. If you come to every service for a month, I'll give you marriage counseling. Why? Because... If you will not obey what the Word of God says, you're not going to obey what the man of God says. Huh? And so he, willing to justify himself, says, and who is my neighbor? Jesus said, you're, he answered and said, you're to love the Lord with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so he says, who's my neighbor? And then Jesus proceeds to tell him one of the most beautiful stories and teaches uh, some of the most profound lessons that are found within the Word of God. Notice the traveler in verse number 30. It says, and he answering said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. We see this this traveler. And what happens to him? It says, And he fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, and wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. So this traveler goes down, and he's, he's stripped, and he's wounded, and he's beaten, and he's dying. So we see the traveler, we see the, the thieves also in verse 30. Those thieves that that beat others up, and we're going to come back to this phrase. But then not only do we see the traveler and the thieves, forgive me, ladies and gentlemen, we see the theologians. Whereas the thieves beat each other's up, or beat others up, the, the theologians pass each other's up. Don't they? What do we see here? We see a priest and a Levite. And that they come down, they see this man. Now listen, again. I realize in life, we don't have time for everybody. I understand that. We really don't. But if you saw a human being naked and bleeding and hurting, something ought to stir inside you. And a priest, he does this. He sees them. And passes by on the other side. He literally goes out of his way to avoid him. 
But then the other theologian, the Levite, does him one better. Pastor Alex, he goes over to him, looks at him, and then passes by. So there's the traveler, there's the the thieves which beat others up, there's the theologians which pass others up, and then there's the tender-hearted which lift others up. In verses 33 through 35, look at it with me. We see this Samaritan. By the way, again, that's one of the great keys to this whole parable is that he was a Samaritan. The Jews despised the Samaritans. I've often said racism is nothing new. It's amazing how just because our skin is a different pigmentation from somebody else, we think ourselves better or worse or think this person owes us. No, 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 no. We're just different shades of human being. That's all. Amen? But the, the, the Jews despise the Samaritans. And so I love the fact that Jesus makes this man a Samaritan in, in his story. And we see three things about that tender-hearted person. We see him condescending. We always use, I shouldn't say always, but most times that, that phrase is used in a negative, oh, that person is so condescending. Ugh. No, it, it can actually be a good word. It means to stoop down. And that's exactly what the Samaritan did. He was condescending in verse 33. And a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. But not only is he condescending, he's compassionate, isn't he? And he had compassion on him. You know, one of the reasons, and I'm getting ready, uh, Brother Cole, pretty soon on social media, I'm going to post 10 reasons why I love our our, our free Bible ministry. And you know what one of them is? Because it shows that we have compassion on people who need Jesus. Compassion. He had compassion. Listen, as soon as he saw that man that was, that was naked and, and bleeding and stripped, and, and maybe the man held up his hand and said, help me, please help me. That man's heart, that Samaritan's heart was broken right there. I think it was Brother Hicks last night or the other day on his social media. Our, our missionary brother, Kyle Joe Hicks, been a missionary to the, to the homeless of Detroit for over 40 years. You know what he said? He said, I feel sorry for people who don't feel sorry for people. He's condescending. He's compassionate. He's caring. Verses 34 and 35, he went to him bound up his wounds. He, he probably said, he probably said, now listen, this is going to hurt. I'm, I'm going to cl- I'm need to clean this wound out. You ever had to have that done? Oh, I got spiked one time in a baseball game. I was a pitcher, left-handed pitcher. Threw a ball, got past my catcher. He went and got it, came. I was a, a left-handed, so I got there and, and tried to sweep tag, and a man came in, full spikes high right here. I still have a scar. It's about that long. That thing opened up, and just and my whole white sock was all red. Ambulance came. One of the few times I've taken an ambulance ride, 
And I remember getting to ER and the tech was in there and he said, he looked at me and said, he said, uh, I, got, I got to clean that. And he said, it's going to hurt. And I remember Brother Majors, he put that Novocaine needle in and I went, and then I didn't feel anything. But then I stopped watching what he was doing because that's just not, not a wise thing to do. I didn't want to pass out or lose my breakfast or anything like that. Maybe, maybe he said to, to that man, you know, I, I'm going to have to clean this out. And again, it, it gives us the, the idea they're oil and wine. They, they, were, they were early physician therapy items that they would use to, to bind up wounds. But he was caring, wasn't he? He was not only caring with himself, but he was caring with where it really matters, ladies and gentlemen. He said to the innkeeper, you take care of him. And whatever you, whatever you pay to take care of him, I'll, I'll make it right when I, we, I come back this way. And the lesson is really in verses 36 and 37. Again, this is just introduction. I promise you, I'm not going long today, but I've got a point that I want to get at. In verses 36 and 37, he said, Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? Verse 37, this obviously Jewish man, because he was a lawyer, weren't too many non-Jewish lawyers of the Old Testament, said, he that showed mercy on him. Now, he could have said the Samaritan, but the Bible records that he didn't say that. He couldn't even say it, Brother Jeff, amen? That's what I believe. He that showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said unto him, go and do thou likewise. Lesson of the, the, the story of the Good Samaritan is Hurting people are our neighbors. And hurting people need God's people to help them and indirectly bring them to God. Or we should say bring God to them by their deeds. These thieves in verse number 30 are a type of the devil. That's a, a picture of the devil, of sin when it has its way. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10. He was talking about himself and he was talking about how he came to bring life and to bring it more abundantly. But at the beginning of that verse, he said, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill, and to destroy. Ladies and gentlemen, Satan is the ultimate thief, and he desires to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Can I tell you this? If you're a believer here today, Satan desires to steal, to kill, and destroy your purity. Young people, listen to me. You, it is very, very difficult to recover your purity. Keep it. Guard it. Guard what you watch. Guard what you listen to. Well, my parents let me watch this. or my parents, Listen, the Holy Spirit can tell you 
to not watch something. He'll not only try to steal your purity, he'll try to steal your purpose. As I had the privilege yesterday of of, uh, participating in the ordination service of Brother Mark Downing, one of the things I thought of there was uh, Mark has a purpose as that pastor and the devil would love to steal that. I've said it so many times here. And I say it often as a reminder to you and also a reminder to me, I can disqualify myself from being your pastor. The devil would love that purpose. You know, Satan steals our passion for the Lord. Things creep in that that push out time for the Word of God, time for prayer, time for getting out in the community and witnessing. He steals our purity, our purpose, our passion. You know what Satan steals? He steals precious time, doesn't he? Often said in the story of the prodigal, the, the missing element of that, the thing that the prodigal could never get back was the time that he spent in the far country. Time with his father. And ultimately, Satan is a thief of people's souls, isn't he? That's what he ultimately wants. I'd like to look today at three characters. And again, I, I'm aware of the time right now. I've spent quite a bit of time in introduction. I'll, I'll hit these quickly. And, but three characters who had something stolen from them by the thief or the thieves that are Satan and sin. And the idea here is to warn us and help us to be on guard in our lives. Because Satan would love to steal from you. So, the first person we see is in Psalm chapter 51. Would you go back there with me? Psalm chapter 51, and again... I realize that some of you are new to church. Some of you don't know the stories of the Bible that well. Some of you know them very well. And those of you that do, you know that Psalm 51 is the penitential psalm. It's the psalm of David's repentance. And it tells us, if you have a Bible, if you have a study Bible, it tells you right there at the beginning of the psalm, to the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So to make a long story very short, David was the king. He was supposed to be off to battle with his men. He was walking upon the rooftop. He saw a woman bathing. He called for her. They said that's Bathsheba, uh, uh, Uriah's wife. And he came, he called for her, committed adultery with her. She found out she was expecting a baby. Uh, He tried to bring her husband home off the battle to kind of try to cover his tracks. It didn't work. He ended up sending her husband back to the battle and had him killed in battle. And thought, it's all cleaned up. It's all covered up. 
Nathan the prophet came to him and he told him a story about a, a man who had a little lamb that was like a family pet and he had a rich neighbor that had herds and flocks and somebody came to the rich neighbor uh, for a meal for, to be entertained for hospitality and that rich neighbor instead of taking on one of the many that he had went over and took the little lamb from the neighbor. And killed it and dressed it and made a meal for and And the prophet said to David, they said, what do you think we should do about a scoundrel like that? Again, I'm just paraphrasing. David was incensed. He was indignant. He said, the man that had done this shall surely die and he shall restore fourfold. And Nathan said, good, it's you. Thou art the man. You did that. You took your neighbor's wife. You had wives of your own, and you're the king. You could have had anything you wanted. And that's where Psalm 51 is written. By the way, it's a beautiful psalm. You ought to read it. I think I've read Psalm 51 other than Isaiah 53 more than any other chapter in the Bible because there's so many times where I need it, where I know I've let the Lord down. Disappointed him. But if you look at verse 12, we see our first character here and what they lost. Verse 12 of Psalm 51 says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. So our first character is the psalmist. Number one, the psalmist. What did he lose? He lost the joy of his salvation. And I say his, meaning God's, because it says the joy of thy salvation. Salvation is from the Lord, amen? If you're here, listen to me, and you get into sin, you get, you get yourself dug in a hole of sin, I'll guarantee you, you will lose the joy of God's salvation. There'll be no joy on your face ever. No joy in your life. You're always upset. You're always angry. You're always bitter. I'll tell you why. You let sin creep in there and you lost the joy of salvation. Now, sadly, for some people, they never had it. And I understand, everybody's different. Some people are more stoic. Some, some people are more serious. Some people are thinkers. Not everybody has to be, you know, uh, I think about, there, there's people that I've known that were hilariously joyful about their salvation. They really were. They were that way all the time. Brother Lolly, they weren't putting on an act. That's just who they were. And there are other people that are just, hey, are you saved? Yes, sir, I'm, I'm, I'm glad about it. But that's about all you can get out of it. That's fine. But I'm talking about people who just... They just forgive me. They have that perpetual look like they just sucked down a whole gallon of pickle juice. Tell you what the psalmist lost. He lost the joy of his salvation. You know what he said? Please restore it to me. Please restore it to me. Give me joy again. Hey, when you cover sins for two years like he did, I'm going to tell you something. You can't have any joy. You know what the answer is? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know you're right with God. You can have joy. So the psalmist, what did he lose? He lost the joy of his salvation. Number two, go to Luke chapter 15. We've mentioned it, but we're going to look at it. Luke chapter 15. So Psalm 51, Luke chapter 15. 
Love that sound. Hear those pages rustling? Hear those babies talking? I love it. Amen. <laughs> it's a good thing. I've said it before. It's better to hear babies make a noise occasionally than have a church where there's no babies. Amen. Luke chapter 15. Look at verses 17 through 19. Of course, this is the story of the prodigal. So we have the psalmist who lost the joy of salvation. In verse 17, it says, And when he came to himself, he said, Remember what happened here to the prodigal. He went off, wasted his substance with riotous living. Then the famine came. It got so bad, he was working for a pig farmer. Again, nothing wrong with working for a pig farmer, but when you're a Jew, it's a pretty low position. It says, And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, there it is again, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said unto his servants, Hey, 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 bring the best robe. Bring forth the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive and again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Sin took the joy of salvation from the psalmist. You know what sin took from the prodigal? The fellowship of the Father. And it'll do the same thing to you. It'll do the same thing to you. You think you can live with known sin and be in fellowship with your Father. You don't know this book. Again, here's the wonderful thing. And there's so many wonderful parts to this story. He never ceased being the Father's son. But he willingly, because of sin, forsook fellowship with the Father. And I'm going to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. We take sin lightly. We, as it says here, willing to justify himself. We, we get willing to justify ourselves about our sin. And we say, well, my sin's not as bad as this or this or this or this. Why don't you say, my sin's not anything that God's pleased with? That'd be a much better statement, much more accurate. And what happened to this prodigal was however long he was off in the far country, I don't know how long it was, the Bible doesn't say how long it was, but for that period of time, he forsook fellowship with his father. He lost it. And that's why I love the fact that when he came back and, and he said exactly what he needed to say, he said, I'm going to go to my father and repent, and he went to his father and repented. And as soon as he did, his father said, get the robe, get the ring, get the shoes, get the fatted calf. Why? Because he was back in fellowship with his father. Again, let me quote it again. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, 
In the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanseth us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we make him a liar, and the truth is not in us. God's not a liar. Let God be true, and every man a liar, Romans 3 and 4 says. But if we confess our sins... See, I've learned this. I've known Christians to be in the far country who sat right here in these pews. They're not literally in the far country. No, not literally. But if you're in sin, you're off in the far country. You put something ahead of God, your relationship with God, and your fellowship with God. Think of this phrase. Does it bother you that sin doesn't bother you? Because it sure should. If the Holy Spirit indwells you, sin will bother you. But sometimes we can quench the Spirit, can't we? We can just continue on in that sin. Whatever it is, I don't know what it is. I I have no idea. I, I know this, when you preach a message like this, God puts His finger on all kinds of different areas. By the way, including the preacher. So, the psalmist had the joy of salvation stolen from him. The prodigal had the fellowship of the father stolen from him by sin. And then lastly, and we'll give you some applications quickly, go to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. Verse 1, Unto the angel of the church at Ephesus write these things, saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless... I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. So the psalmist lost the joy of his salvation. The prodigal lost the fellowship of the father. May I say the pastor and parishioners of the church at Ephesus lost their first love. They just didn't love Jesus like they used to. Can I tell you something, ladies and gentlemen? The longer we're saved, the more we have an opportunity to lose, to have our love for God stolen from us. Say, how does that happen? Well, what happens is God becomes next. Say, what do you mean God becomes next? Well, when God is next, that means you put something ahead of Him. You know why some people never come out to witness? Because God is next. I'll get to that somewhere. Somewhere down the line, I'll I'll get to that. Why some people never 
go further in their giving because God is next. Well, I got to take care of this, 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 this. Some people never come to Sunday night service because God is next. I'll, I'll, you know, and, and I'll tell you what happens is we just lose our love. And it becomes a cold, mechanical service. By the way, even by faithful people can be cold and mechanical. How do you know, Pastor? Because I've been one. Where other people would never know it. But on the inside, I knew I was cold. I knew I wasn't doing it because I love Jesus. See, if the love of God will be your motivator, you'll give a good account one day before God. And by the way, you'll lead a great life, whatever you do. It doesn't matter whether you work in a factory or you work in an office or you travel or you sales or whatever you do. If you will do things because you love Jesus... You'll lead, you'll lead a, a, a life that Jesus said is more abundant. I've come that they might have life in my head. You'll, leave, you'll lead an abundant life. But if you don't, if you just get mechanical and cold about things, eventually, eventually, and by the way, the devil and, and his imps, they're methodical about these things. They just want you to, they, they don't want you to cool off completely. They want you to just cool off a little. Because they know if you'll cool off a little. I mean, just imagine that, you know, the blessings are right here. Just imagine this is the spout where the glory comes out. And you, you get a little bit cold. You're, you're not a lot cold. You get a little bit cold. Now, again, here's the blessings. They're coming down right from this hole in the ceiling, which is not there, but we're pretending it is. And, you know, you get a little cold, and then, yeah, then you just get a little bit colder. And now we're talking about years of prayerlessness and very little Bible time. and You come on Sunday mornings because you know you should and the pastor's going to do this at you if you don't. And, and then, you know, next thing you know, it's, it's a couple Sunday mornings a month and then one Sunday morning a month. And then you turn into a creaster. What's a creaster, pastor? That's people that come at Christmas and Easter. Amen. And the next thing you know, you're as far from the blessings as you could possibly be. And you didn't even realize it. You know, I'm thankful. Again, everybody has a different conversion. I'll be, Lord willing, on Classic Sunday, those of you that are, are doing some advertising for Classic Sunday, you can tell folks our pastor is going to be giving his testimony that day. I'll be giving my testimony on Classic Sunday. I got saved as an adult. Many of you have heard it, long hair, all that. And I remember what it was in those early days to be so in love with Jesus, Brother Cole, to know what I was saved from, to know what God was doing in my heart, to not be ashamed of him in front of other people. Matter of fact, it was the opposite. I was ashamed of what I was before, not ashamed of what Jesus was and who he was. Tell you what, you get away from your Bible time, you get away from your prayer time, you get away from your church family, you get away from trying to share the gospel with others, and you'll grow cold in your love. You'll lose it. The devil steals it from us. And you know how he steals it? He gives us other things. Forgive me. 
This is like, this is the equivalent of God wanting to give us a Ruth Chris steak and the devil gives us little bar S hot dogs. And we, and we, oh, trust me, even if you like it medium well, Uncle Joe, a Ruth Chris steak is better than a bar S hot dog, amen? Uncle Joe always kills me about my steaks. He said, you need to eat it medium rare, amen? You understand what I mean, though, amen? You understand what, God, you want to have this love for God, this wonderful, and the devil just gives us these little counterfeits, forgives me, gives us cotton candy, that's just sweet for a little while and doesn't have any substance. Next thing you know, we're out of love with Jesus and in love with the world. Listen to me. This, this man, he fell among thieves. And if you're not careful, you can fall among thieves. Sin and Satan can steal the joy of your salvation. Can steal your fellowship with your Father. And they could steal your first love. And so I'll just give you the applications. It's 12-12, right on time. Beware of the subtlety of Satan. Genesis 3.1 says he's more subtle than any beast of the field which God... He has tripped up everyone that has ever been born of man and woman. Everyone. He got Moses, the meekest man that ever lived. You know how he got him? Temper. Hmm? Elijah, that, that great prophet who prayed down fire, you know what he got him with? Discouragement. And you can go down, you can look, you get Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those great patriarchs that gave us the word of God, you know what he got them with? Dishonesty. Beware of him. Don't take him lightly. The subtlety of Satan. How about the tax, tactics of Satan? What are the tactics he uses? He uses three... Three things that the Bible tells us and one other. He uses doubt. He, he tries to get you to doubt what God says, period. But then he uses the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. This is only three lures that he has, but he's caught a lot of fish with those three. Beware of his subtlety. Beware of his tactics. Again, beware of his goal. What's his goal? 1 Peter 5.8 tells us what his goal is. What's his goal? He said, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, your enemy, your mortal enemy, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. If you've ever seen what, a li what lions do to a carcass, they break the bones and still chew on it. And I'm telling you what, that's exactly what the devil wants to do in your life. He wants to break you in pieces. You better beware. Or he will. The subtlety of Satan, beware. Beware of the tactics of Satan. Beware of the goal of Satan. Hey, maybe you've fallen among thieves. Maybe there's some sin in your life. Nobody knows about it. Mom and dad don't know about it. Brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so don't know about it. I'm going to tell you something. God knows about it. Maybe you're like that, that man who fell among thieves. Can I tell you something? The good Samaritan, the good Samaritan, Jesus Christ, can help you.
He can bind up your wounds. Amen? You just got to ask. You got to ask. You got to humble yourself and say, I'm not what I should be for the Lord. Dear Jesus, please help me. Help me. This, this sin's got its claws into me. I've, I've known some of the best Christians I've ever known have struggled with private sin. Boy, that's the key, isn't it, Brother Merklinger? Struggle. Fight against it. I, I, again, I, I've said so many times, we put all our, started letter A and put all our sins, each one, each person on that screen, we'd all leave that door quickly before our name came up. Don't think you're better than anybody else or you're not. And I'll just say this, you're not worse than anybody else. But, but, none of us are sinless. And sin is a thief that will steal. It'll steal so much from you. He fell among thieves. Father, bless us now.